KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You're listening to KCRW. I'm Madeline Brand. Time now for your weekend film reviews. This week, we have a Ridley Scott epic, a sequel to the teen comedy Good Burger, 26 years after the original. And Disney continues its holiday tradition of releasing a new animated feature around Thanksgiving. Sean Edwards is here to talk about these movies, and he is an award-winning journalist for Fox 4 News in Kansas City, Missouri. Hi, Sean. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. Also joining us, William Bibiani, film critic and co-host of the Critically Acclaimed Network. Hi, Bibbs. Hi, I've won no awards. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) All right, let's start with Napoleon from director Ridley Scott. Joaquin Phoenix plays the title character. No doubt you've seen the chaos in the streets. We must make an example or France will fall. What would you do if this assignment of defense was transferred to you? I promise you brilliant successes. I'm the first to admit when I make a mistake. I simply never do. Okay, Sean, this is the origin story for Napoleon, and it's also a romance because there's a lot in this about his relationship with Josephine, his wife, played by Vanessa Kirby. Tell us more. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a look or an attempt at the look at the military commander's swift rise to power, his climb to become emperor. It's also viewed through sort of this prism of his like addictive and volatile relationship that he has with his wife, his true love, Josephine, and it's directed by Ridley Scott. It's an impressive film from a craftsmanship perspective. I mean, it it looks great. It sounds great. It looks authentic to the period. The problem with the film is there's a huge imbalance that exists with Napoleon because how can a film this big and this grand say so very little and not explain enough? Now, like I said, the battle scenes are terrific, but everything else is sort of this mix of half facts and incorrect historical depictions. And I mean, there's no doubt Joaquin Phoenix is a terrific actor, but he sort of lazily traverses the material Not sure that's all his fault. You can maybe lay some of that blame on director Ridley Scott. But the thing that I found most interesting with the film is it almost played more like a comedy. And I'm not sure that was the intent because it's very funny, but I'm not sure it's supposed to be. It doesn't look like it's supposed to be because in the preview, in the trailers, Joaquin Phoenix looks very, very serious. Bibbs, this was, as I understand it, Stanley Kubrick's White Whale. He really wanted to make this movie and didn't. So how does Ridley Scott stack up in your mind? Well, I mean, that's a tall order, isn't it? And also mm-hmm. Napoleon has been a fascination of filmmakers since the silent era. Um, you know, he's a gigantic historical figure and demands a gigantic historical movie. And the scale of this movie, the actual production design, the costume design, the sets, everything is very impressively staged. And yet, on the other hand, and I, I agree with Sean that the movie feels very uh, eclectic and not very well formed. 
I think we're at a point now where maybe whenever Ridley Scott makes a movie like this, we all agree just to ignore it until the director's cut comes out. <laughs> because this happens constantly. He'll make a movie, whether it's Blade Runner or Legend or Kingdom of Heaven, and it's all like, oh, this is kind of interesting visually, but it's not that great. And then the director's cut comes out, and you're like, oh, this is actually a masterpiece. And why don't they just let him release the director's cut in the first place? I don't know for a fact that that's true, but this has all the earmarks of that, this sort of strange, inconsistent pacing, the sort of episodic nature of it, the uh, elements that feel a little unexplored. It's a rather entertaining watch, and I actually think it is intentionally funny. Some of the things that Joaquin Phoenix says and does in this movie are clearly laugh lines, and the movie plays them as laugh lines, and I appreciate that in trying to capture the grand sweep of Napoleon, they're also getting the moments where he comes across as uh, immature or insecure, uh, and I think that really adds to the appeal of the movie, but if you're looking for a gigantic historical epic in the old-fashioned, you know, Cleopatra mold, mm -hmm. this is a good watch and it's worth seeing in a theater, but if you're looking for something that's like a fully coherent, excellent piece of filmmaking, it's, it's a little lackluster. Okay, Napoleon in theaters in wide release. Next, the latest animated film from Disney. It's called Wish and it stars Ariana DeBose as a young girl named Asha who wishes on a star and gets more than she bargained for. Once upon a time stood Rosas, a most magical kingdom, founded by a king with the power to grant wishes. People give their wishes to me, and I grant the wishes I am sure are good for Rosas. Some of these will never be granted. Not some, most. Okay, Bibbs, this also stars Chris Pine as the handsome king. Of course, there's a handsome king. What is this movie about? Uh, this movie is about the Disney Corporation, very explicitly. Uh, <laughs> It's been 100 years since Disney got into the business of making animation with his original Alice in Wonderland shorts. Uh, and uh, they decided to celebrate by doing this movie. And it's full of Easter eggs for various Disney films past. You know, there's, oh, there's the apple from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, there's the horse from Tangled. Isn't that sweet? But the actual plot of the movie is about the leader of a magic kingdom who has built his empire on collecting the ideas and uh, creations, the uh, turning the intellectual concepts of people into property, intellectual property, if you will, collecting them, hoarding them, and then leaving the people who gave them the intellectual property uh, empty and soulless. And it's about a young woman who discovers just how corrupt and evil it is to hoard intellectual property and decides to give all the intellectual property back into the domain of the public. It is literally astounding that this movie which unfortunately isn't particularly good the songs are pretty forgettable the animation style is is kind of unremarkable the cast is strong chris pine and area debose in particular are really good but it's astounding that they decided to celebrate 100 years of disney with a movie that denounces what disney has become very openly mm, in the plot it's fascinating and i wonder if this is a complete lack of self-awareness or if this is a confession it's hard to say Maybe it's the result of the strike. They're yeah. feeling a little self-hating. Okay, Sean, what did you think? Yeah, I kind of agree with Bibbs. This sort of felt like a TED Talk lecture. In terms of animated feature, it felt like this movie had been sitting in the Disney vault for the past three decades because it felt very 90-ish. It really had that feel. Whether it was intentional or not, I, I don't know. It, it all seemed very flat. And like the biggest sin in the movie is the songs. Mm -hmm. The songs are just flat out terrible. There, there, there's no magic 
to the songs. They're, they're, they're not poppy. They're not catchy. They're not memorable. The, the movie just kind of like meanders along. And, you know, Ariana DeBose, is, it's fantastic, but I don't feel like she was given permission to soar. I mean, Chris Pine is a terrific actor. He had very little to do. It's a, it's a very stock character. It's a very stock story. And I don't even know who this movie's for because it's it's not cute enough to really appeal to kids, but yet it's not intelligent enough to really keep adults' attention. Oh, okay. Wish in theaters in wide release. Maybe we wish it were a better movie. Next up, Maestro, about the long relationship between Leonard Bernstein, the celebrated composer and conductor, and his wife, Felicia, played by Carrie Mulligan. This is, of course, starring... Bradley Cooper, who co-wrote and also directed Maestro. Hello, I'm Lenny. Hello, Felicia. I love people so much that it's hard for me to be alone. That music, it keeps me glued to life. All right, Sean, there's been a lot of talk about the prosthetics that Bradley Cooper used in this. But what did you think about the movie, The Substance? Yeah, push the conversation about prosthetics aside. Yeah. Uh, this is a really terrific movie. Um, and the first thing you really need to know about Maestro is it isn't a traditional biopic, but it is a engaging and poignant look at different aspects of the life of Leonard Bernstein. And it's also a movie that plays more like a love story and an examination of his relationship with his wife than anything else. It's directed by Bradley Cooper. It stars Bradley Cooper. He's actually terrific in the movie. However, it's Carrie Mulligan who functions as the heart and soul of this film. I mean, she is just flat out terrific. But I got to go back to the filmmaking. I liked a lot of the choices that Bradley Cooper made with sort of the angles and the way that he he brings the film to life and his choices of doing some of the film in color and some aspects of the film in black and white. As he tells what's, what is pretty much a complicated story about a very complicated person who has these extreme personalities that you have to sort of wrangle with as the viewer and I love the honesty and the filmmaker in the fact that Bradley Cooper sort of lets the story breathe. And, and I really appreciated that with Bradley Cooper's directorial style with this film to kind of just let the story exist and let the viewer kind of like lend their own judgment to how they felt about this very complicated individual as it spans several decades of his life. And Bibbs, does he play Bernstein convincingly? Is he the guy? Do you think, okay, this is the conductor? I mean, it's kind of impossible mm. to do that because he was a genius, but what yeah. do you think? Is he convincing? Uh, I think he's actually very convincing. And I'm really, there are decisions that were made in the course of making this movie that I think warrant some criticism. You could argue that the nose is distracting. Uh, and Carrie Mulligan, as absolutely brilliant as she is in this movie, casting her as a Costa Rican Chilean woman was a choice. The performances are excellent across the board, and I agree with Sean. I I think the thing that's really astounding about Bradley Cooper is he's an excellent actor. He's very convincing, uh, but he has really pushed himself as a director between this and The Star is Born. He is an impressive storyteller who has, makes interesting choices. But I do think it, it, it starts really leeching out the energy of itself and ultimately ends not as strong as it begins. But that 
first half of the movie is really quite astounding. And it's certainly worth checking out. And it's certainly uh, fascinating. And I think conversations should be had about the movie uh, on a variety of topics uh, from a variety of perspectives. Maestro in select theaters today and on Netflix beginning December 20th. Up next, another film about an American composer. This is a documentary from Matthew Heineman. It follows a year in the life of musician John Batiste and his partner, Salika Jawad. It's called American Symphony. The most honored artist this year with 11 nominations is Mr. John Baptiste, right there. I feel like we're living a life of contrast. Why? Wow, what do you mean? It's just a lot. I'm always in awe of Zuleika, how she deals with hardship. My first day of chemo, his 11 Grammy nominations were announced. <laughs> Okay, Bibbs, uh, tell us more about this couple and this movie. Okay, so uh, John Batiste uh, is a musician. You may recall uh, that in addition to winning a whole bunch of Grammys, uh, he was also uh, Stephen Colbert's uh, band leader for mm-hmm. a while on The Tonight Show. And uh, he's married to Suleika Jouad, uh, who is also a, a best-selling author, an artist, who has dealt with and battled leukemia for a large part of her life. This movie, uh, which comes from director Matthew Heineman, Oscar-nominated filmmakers, won a bunch of Emmys, is about this really tumultuous year where, on one hand, everything is going really well for them. They get married, he wins awards, he conducts this really ambitious and exciting symphony, uh, but also she's going back into chemo and they don't know if she's going to survive. A lot of ups and downs, both mm-hmm. in their lives and and uh, for the audience, and it's a really fascinating watch. These are very lovable people, as depicted in the documentary, uh, and you really do get swept up in the strange giganticness of their lives. The music is really, really wonderful. The people involved are absolutely fascinating. I mean, look, parts of it are very sad, but it's also quite joyous, and I enjoyed it immensely. Sean, did you? Yeah, I enjoyed it tremendously because I, I think the thing about it is it's the unknown aspects that happen during the film that really give it its its warmth and give it its depth because – you, you you go in expecting this to be a concert film and it turns out to be this love story, but it's a love story full of challenges and full of struggles. But throughout it all, there's also there's there's a lot of hope and a lot of joy. And of course, it's a given that the music's going to be terrific because he's, he's an incredible composer and, a, and an incredible talent. But the way that it unfolds is so unexpected that I think it gives the film a lot of unexpected energy and a lot of unexpected joy. And there's a musical rhythm to it, but there's also a rhythm of life to the film, which really sets it in motion and helps you to keep your attention as you follow these two people that have this this great relationship and great chemistry together as you go on this journey that you think is going to be about preparation for this amazing concert and turns out to be this whole other thing about struggling with the unknown and keeping it together through adversity. American Symphony in select theaters this Friday and on Netflix beginning November 29th. Last up, we have something for the 90s kids out there. Good Burger 2 as in a sequel. Here's a clip. Welcome to Good Burger, home with a Good Burger. Can I take your order? Buckle up. The new adventures of Ed and Dex starts now. 
All right, Bibbs, you saw this solo. What did you think? Boy, did I. Uh, okay, so Good Burger, <laughs> for those who may not have been around in the 1990s, all that was a sketch comedy series on Nickelodeon that starred uh, Kel Mitchell and Kenan Thompson, who is now the longest-running Saturday Night Live cast member in history. That was their original sketch comedy show, and Good Burger was their signature sketch. And that turned into a movie in 1997, which was mildly successful, but over the last couple of decades has developed a really big cult following. It's got a really sweet, interesting, bizarre sense of humor. Good Burger 2 is an odd animal because it reunites the cast, uh, those who are still around. And yet, even though it's been over 20 years, they have decided to keep the exact same very child-friendly tone. The humor in this movie is very innocent and very silly, which is bizarre in a way, because the target demographic for this movie is surely people who remember Good Burger and remember all that, and they've grown up. Children, I hope we'll see this movie because I think it will appeal to them. It's really quite adorable, uh, but I don't think they have anything connected to the brand. So I feel like the people who should be watching this movie are people who grew up with all that and Kanan and Kel in the 90s who have the free time this weekend to get in their jammies, uh, sit in front of the TV, uh, like really, really close to it and like get like a bowl of Apple Jacks, which, sorry, parents, <laughs> did taste like apples. The point is, is that I feel like this is a movie for adults to like just sort of win the moment, remind them what it was like to be a child. Listen, Good Burger 2, it's uh, an innocent film and it's quite cute. And if you're a fan of Good Burger, which is really the only people who this is made for, I think it's worth watching if you get in that mindset that the film has not grown up with you. Sean, did Bib sell you on it? He sold me not so much with the film. But with the but Apple with Jacks. The Apple Jacks, yes. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Good Burger 2, currently streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Sean Edwards is an award-winning journalist for Fox 4 News in Kansas City, Missouri. William Bibiani, film critic and co-host of the critically acclaimed network. Happy Thanksgiving and happy Apple Jacksing. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. <laughs> <laughs> KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.